Good morning. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to ask you, I'm going to invite you. If you'd like to, go ahead. If not, feel free to stay where you are. But I'm kind of tempted to ask you to squeeze in the middle here since uh, it's a little light. But, but it's up to you. Um, if you feel like moving, I know that I know the pews have, they're, they're specially molded because I don't need to go any farther, <laughs> but uh, I appreciate it. That's, hey, oh, you're allowed, yeah. yeah. When you're that close, you're just not allowed to throw anything. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Thank you. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, just as far as announcements, um, I wanted to remind you there won't be any Bible study tonight. We're taking a break from that for a little while, for a couple of weeks. Um, this week, there will not be any prayer meeting, and that's because on Wednesday night, I'll be leading a service over at Londonderry Village. Um, I think maybe I ought, to, I ought to wait just a second and let everybody settle to make sure, that, make sure everybody hears the, this vital information. This, this is beautiful. I th- thank you. I, I, I didn't think it would be this easy. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just asking. You guys come through. Yep. So, as I was saying, this week we will not be having um we will not be having prayer meeting on Wednesday night because Wednesday evening I'll be leading a service over at Londonderry Village. So, those who come on Wednesday night are welcome to to join me there. Anybody else is welcome to join me there. What I'm going to do is, it sounds like they're used to you performing a cantata in the past. We don't have a cantata, but what we'll do is a a shortened version of the Christmas Eve service that we did. So they'll still get to sing along with us, and they'll they'll get a little bit of the the Christmas story as well. Um, Wednesday morning, we will be having coffee shop theology as as regular. Um, Yeah, so Wednesday night, what time? Um, I believe it's at 7 Seven o'clock at, at Londonderry Village. Thank you. I, I should have obviously should have mentioned that. Wednesday morning, like I said, Coffee Shop Theology will be starting up again. Morning. Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning. Yep. And um, keep an eye out for um, 
for an announcement. I'm gonna try. I'm going to get coffee shop theology going in the evening as well. I've got to come up with a different name though. Coffee shops in the morning, or else it'll just be evening edition. Um, but we'll come up with something for the evening, and um, we're looking, trying to figure out a date. Right now, I have some input from someone who's interested. So if you're interested, get to me. Tell me what date works, what night of the week works for you too, because I'm gonna, I want to make it a time when people can come. And I'm probably going to be looking for a spot, perhaps outside the church, someplace very local where we could gather. I know that's crazy, but uh, I want to I make it out in the public somewhere where people can see us and maybe be curious. And next thing you know, they sit down with us and join us. So um, next Saturday, 9.30, I think was the announcement. 9.30, I think it is, um, we'll be getting together to take the decorations down. I think it's in the bulletin here. 9.30, yes, Saturday, 9.30, so if you can come and help, that would be great. It's a lot easier, I bet, putting, taking them down than it was putting them up, um, but with, with, with a lot of people helping, it works well. Anything else, any questions, anything that I might be missing? Um, if everybody could just pay attention to the fellowship announcements in the bulletin, please. Oh, yeah, so there is, yeah, so right now there's an announcement in there that the fellowship committee wants to get a secret pal opportunity going. It was a, there was a request. There's been some talk about that. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet out on the board to just put your name up, to say you're interested. You'll get some more papers later to give your information, and then you'll get a secret pal. And you just have fun with that, surprising that person all year with gifts and correspondence and so forth. So keep an eye out for that. Anything else? We're having a Super Bowl. Sorry, dear. Then we're having a Super Bowl plan. We have to plan it. So it'll be February 5th. But anybody interested in being a part of the fellowship committee can come see me so we can plan that. Yeah, mark that on your account. Put that, pencil that in February 5th. That's the Sunday after the last playoffs and before the Super Bowl the next week. We're going to have our own Super Bowl event, but we're going to spell it S O U P E R. Um, we're going to have soup, have a soup contest and uh, gather cans of goods for carrying cupboard, things like that. So mark that on your calendar. It'll be an event that we'll, we'll get information out to you very quickly about that. Is there anything else that we need no, to let sorry. <laughs> No, you're, don't be sorry. You're fine. We need to have this information out. Anything else that any of you have? Okay, well then let's, let's prepare ourselves for worship here. Let's pray. Oh, good morning. Good morning, Lord. What a beautiful morning. We thank you for giving us this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together to, to worship you. We are here to worship. We're going to sing about that in a little bit. We're here to give you glory. We're going to sing about that. Father, it almost kind of feels like we're kind of letting down. We've, we've had such a busy season, and whew, we're tired. But we're here resting in you, Lord. And we're asking you for the strength. Give us the strength to, to praise you and to worship you this morning as we sing our songs, as we listen to your message, and as we tell you how much we love you and how much we want to be here. Father, I just pray that everything that we do here this morning would be to your honor and to your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'll ask you to stand and we'll sing along with the, with the praise band this morning. Thank you. 
You are the first, you go before, you are the last, Lord, you're the encore, your name's in lights for all to see, the starry host, declare your glory, glory in the Altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to 
So here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to Since we're sitting this way, I can do this. Take a moment just to look at the person beside you and say, I'm glad you're here this morning. <laughs> okay, we'll take, a, we'll take a couple minutes now to to just lift up our praises and to, to share any prayer requests. I heard a clunk. Some. <laughs> so we have one up here for Terry. We got... Yeah, I just want to let the congregation know that uh, my brother, Jerry, he passed away on Wednesday. Okay, so... Um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it's a sad time, but I have the reassurance that he went to heaven. He went to be, went to be with the Lord. So, um, yeah, you know, prayers for myself, my family, Tina, all of us as, you know, we go through all this. And um, Tina's family, the Valencia family uh, in, uh, in Hawaii, uh, they're going through multiple you know multiple things you know you know health issues and things like that you know so you know overall just prayers you know to you know you know to our other family that's in hawaii also lord that we know that that the lord will actually 
you know, work, work, you know, you know his will. So. Thank you. Okay. Same place, same like. My girlfriend Holly, who has cancer, her, her husband, and her daughter all came down with COVID. And my praise is the sun is out today. think I'll get in trouble for this. Uh, I was given permission just now through a message. You know, my son Jeffrey is not here today. Um, I have a, I, my praise is I have a new daughter-in-law. Yes, yes. <laughs> there was a wedding yesterday. Yes. We're praising God for that. Yep, praise God. Feeling better. Daughter, daughter in North Carolina, North Dakota. You said, okay, yeah. So that's a praise. Any others? Yes. Right, okay. Um, just prayers for my mom. She came down with COVID this week. Also, um, she was really looking forward to getting all of us together today for one of the few times a year that the siblings get together. And then she tested positive on Friday. So for her health and just also just her emotional well-being that she's really disappointed. So okay, yeah. We had some a family gathering that didn't get to include everybody just because of some exposure, not because of family member, but they were polite enough, whatever the word would be, considerate enough to, to not come, but it just meant that we weren't all quite there. So, yeah. And then I heard this morning of another, <laughs> another family, same, same thing. Things changed quickly because of COVID. So it's, it's around again. So. Any other prayer requests? Okay, well, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer then. Well, Father, first of all, we thank you for the day, and, and as was mentioned, we thank you for the sunshine. We, we know the rain is necessary, but, um, but the sun feels good. The sun helps us to, to just be more hopeful when we walk out in the morning and we see the sun. We just thank you for that this morning. We thank you for, for the, the joy of, of a new year, the hope of a new year, the things that we can put behind us and um, the things we can look forward to in a new year. We, we thank you for the celebration of, of big events like weddings that, uh, that occurred as a way of, of closing out one year and beginning a new life together in a new year. At the same time, it sounds like celebrations were interrupted or altered because of, because of COVID. And so, Father, I pray for your healing touch there, that you would, you would just guard any of those who were nearby, that, that the person with COVID is healed, and that no one else would, would pick it up, and that, that the spread would just stop in that family, and that people could, uh, 
could get back to what they enjoy, what they need to do, and get back to work and so forth. Father, we, we do ask for your, your arms of comfort to be around Terry and his family, and, um, and also around the Valencia family, as both of these families are dealing with, with issues um, that sounds like they cause grief and stress and discomfort. So we just pray for your, your comfort with them and that you would give them your peace. You would watch over them. Let them know that you're there. And let them know that they can lean on you in times of trouble. Father, we also thank you for the way you take care of us through the week and provide for us. And so, Father, our, our offering is, a, is an act of worship. It's us giving back, knowing that it all came from you. And so we ask you to receive it, to accept it, and to bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. And will you join me in singing hymn number 218.
Well, as a reminder, and as you can tell by, by the music and so forth, we will be taking communion today. And it's a remembrance of Jesus talking about the new covenant. And so today, today I want to talk about keeping a promise. We've obviously run out of pages on our 2022 calendar. It's time for a new, new one to be put up. Happy New Year. And as we move into the 2023 year together, I don't know if maybe you've made some, some resolutions or not, but actually I think we should probably give them a different name. Instead of calling them New Year's resolutions, we should come up with a different name. Because the definition of resolution is a firm decision, something you're determined to put into action. And I just don't think that's what we do anymore. <laughs> I think we should be honest with ourselves and just call them New Year's wishes. You know, we wish we were a little healthier. We wish we were a few pounds lighter. We f- wish we could have a new job. We wish we could eat a few less chocolate-covered peanuts. But we're not exactly determined to make these things happen, right? Most of the time when we make a resolution, all we're doing is making a promise to ourselves and then we break it about two weeks later. It's what we do. I don't know if you can remember a few years back, those Geico commercials. There, there was one that had a, a James Bond type that was being chased and he ends up on the top of a building and the guy's coming up the ladder with him and he starts warding him off and then all of a sudden his phone rings and he reaches in and answers it and, Mom? And she says something about, um, well, the squirrels are in the attic again, and your father won't call an exterminator. Remember that? Yeah, and he finds himself like trying to defend them with one, one hand and, and one foot or whatever. And the narrator then says, if you're a mother, you call at the wrong time. It's what you do. Well, I'm saying if you're a human, you break promises. It's what you do. But today, we're here to focus on the fact that God always keeps his promises. It's what he does. Today we're going to be receiving the sacrament of Holy Communion, remembering a promise kept by God, remembering and recreating the events of Jesus' last meal with his closest disciples before his death and resurrection. The night that Jesus met with his disciples in an upper room. I'm going to ask you to humor me as I take just a little bit of a detour here because it just seems to be kind of of relevant, hopefully. Um, The Greek word that's translated as upper room, when we talk about Jesus and his disciples in the upper room, that Greek word is kataluma. And that word kataluma, it's only used twice in the New Testament. Its literal translation is guest room. So he, he was with the disciples in a guest room. They had a ground floor, but that all, they also included a guest room up on a second level, up on a floor above. And that's why, in this case, it's translated, the word kataluma is translated in that last story, supper, as upper room. The other time it's used was just last week in the Christmas story, where we hear about Mary wrapping Jesus in cloths and placing him in a manger because there was no cataluma, no guest room. So for some reason, translators put Jesus and his disciples in an upper room for cataluma, 
but he put Mary and Joseph and Jesus in a stable or an inn for a cataluma, or at least that's where they tried to find one. But instead of a story about a grumpy old innkeeper sending Mary and Joseph off to the barn, I believe that the Christmas story involves a family lovingly opening their home to this expecting couple, even though their guest room upstairs was already occupied. Now you might be thinking, well, what about the manger? Well, without getting into a lot of details, because that's not what this sermon is about, but the first floor would actually have areas cut out where the, where the cattle could eat. The, fir- the ground floor is actually about two steps up. They'd bring cattle in at night, and they would have cutouts in the floor, because the floor would be about neck level to the animals, and that's where they would eat. That's also a manger. So anyhow, I, I just think that the, it just changes the story. It makes it loving instead of, nope, there's no room here at the end you got to go out into the stable or, or back to the cave or whatever. But anyhow, back to this morning's sermon. So anyhow, Jesus, he's in this cataluma. And then it's been translated then as this guest room, this upper room. And in that upper room, in that guest room, Jesus shared bread and wine with his disciples. He told them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And I thought since this is our New Year, it's our first Sunday in our new year. It's a great time to talk about the new covenant and to share it this morning together. There's significance to that phrase, new covenant, that he says. This new covenant he's talking about is the one God spoke about through the prophet Jeremiah. Please listen to the reading of today's scripture text. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds And write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Through Jeremiah, God says he's going to make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. It won't be like the covenant that he made with their ancestors. We had a covenant with God, but it got broken. We need a new covenant. There's an important concept to understand here, the whole concept of covenant. What's a covenant? There's an author, on uh, Andrew, excuse me, Andrew Murray. He wrote a book called The Two Covenants. And in it, he writes, blessed is the man who truly knows God as his covenant God. And that's what I'm going to try to help you understand this morning, because I didn't really understand covenant. I knew the concept without really knowing it, um, but I didn't really understand this idea of covenant and a covenant God before I, until I went to seminary. But now that I see how it works, I, I can understand why Murray says that I'm blessed by knowing it. There's a joy that comes with understanding this covenant relationship that I have with God and with Christ. 
A covenant is a transaction, but it's also more of a relationship that's based on keeping a promise. And, and the best example we have is a marriage. A marriage is a covenant. And you'll see similarities as we discuss the process of making a covenant. You'll see similarities to a wedding ceremony, really. And the kind of covenant we're going to talk about today is the blood covenant of the ancient Near East. It comes from the Hebrew word berit. It means, literally, to cut a covenant, to bind. It literally means to make a covenant by cutting to make the blood flow. Blood's used in this covenant because of the great significance of the new relationship. A blood covenant is the most binding covenant any two people or groups of people can enter into. It's meant to be a lifelong commitment and should never be entered into lightly. And blood was seen as something almost sacred in the ancient Near East. In Leviticus 17, the Lord explained to Moses, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. I'm sure you've heard the saying, blood is thicker than water. That's usually meant to indicate that family is the most powerful bond we can have. But in the East, they say blood is thicker than milk. This means that a covenant relationship is more powerful than a family relationship. Two blood brothers have a tighter bond than two brothers who have the same mother. Now for those who were here back when I was here the first time, I don't know if you remember, but just about 10 years ago, I explained the steps that are involved in a blood covenant by having my two sons up here, and we, they actually walked through it with props and everything else. We're not going to do that today. We're just going to talk through it. But maybe in your mind, if you, if you happen to remember them up there, it might be a good visual for you. As we walk through this process of blood covenant, we're also going to take a look at the blood covenant that was struck between God and Abram in the Old Testament, as well as Jesus' blood covenant with us, in the New Testament. I want you to see what's so special about Jesus saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. So the first step that they go through is actually pre-ceremony. It's actually kind of the setup where the two parties discuss terms and conditions and they, they lay out the promises, all the blessings that go with keeping the covenant. But they also talk about the warnings of curses that, that come with breaking the covenant. It's where the parties decide whether the cost of death, which is usually the, the penalty for not keeping the covenant, whether that cost of potential death is worth the benefits received from keeping this lifelong agreement. In Abram's covenant, the steps recorded in Genesis 12, where it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's laying it out for Abram. Here's what you're going to have to do if you want to participate in this covenant with me. Jesus did the same thing. He spent three years laying out conditions and warnings for his disciples and for us. Very often he would say, you have heard this, but I say 
that, something different. And he would often describe in detail what had to be done or what had to be given up in order to follow him. He was telling everyone, you have to weigh the cost of following me and make your decision. So if they were going to proceed, their next step then is where they decide who the representative of each group is. And they would sacrifice something as part of the process. The representatives were important people in the covenant process. A representative stands in as a substitute for the whole group. And so he has to know the needs and the desires of the group he represents. And he's given authority to act and to speak on behalf of the group. That representative has to be of the same bloodline as the family or the group he's representing. And he was also known as the guarantor of the covenant. It was his job to make sure all the promises and all the terms of the covenant were kept. Something else that's very important, when that representative enters into the blood covenant, the people he represents are said to be in him. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. And I'm hoping that as we go forward, you might have a better understanding and and more of an appreciation of what it means when we say that we're in Jesus. So while these two representatives are standing, facing each other, the sacrifice is cut. They'll take an animal, they'll cut it down the middle from head to tail. The two halves would be placed on either side of the representatives opposite each other with the bloody side up. It's, it's, it's a visual. It reminds them of what's going on here. Now in Abram's case, he and God had already been chosen as representatives for their covenant. And then in Genesis 15, God tells Abraham, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then in the next verse, it says, Then he, meaning Abram, brought all these things to him, God, and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. So they've set things up. They've got the sacrifices cut, the two representatives. And in the case of the, the new covenant, then, the representative for God, of course, is Jesus. He's deity. He has been chosen by God to stand in as his substitute. Well, then, who's the representative for man? Well, that's also Jesus, because he is also fully man. In this case, he's the willing representative for humanity. What about the sacrifice? Well, of course, Jesus covers that requirement as well. Jesus did it all in the new covenant. He was the representative of the Father, he was the representative of man, and he was the blood sacrifice. Now in this covenant transaction, there was then an exchange of coats or belts or tunics or hats, whatever was on you, something that you wore, something that that described or identified you. It, it, It defined your identity. If someone offered another person his coat, he's offering himself. He's offering his identity. The thing that comes to mind is the the parable of the prodigal son. As he comes running, as the father goes out, runs runs to meet him, the first thing he does is gets his robe to put on him. That's his identity being put on the son to remind everyone he's not coming back as a slave. He's not coming back as an outcast. He's coming back as family. He's family. He's one of mine. And that's the kind of stuff that we talk about on Sunday night. So there's a little plug there. You've got to come out. And we get into some of this 
deeper stuff with these parables. So anyhow, person offers something on them. Maybe they offer their, their belt to the other person in the transaction. That belt might be where he carries his weapons, a knife, a sword, whatever. And by giving somebody else that belt and the weapons, he's offering his strengths. He's saying, your enemies are my enemies. Your battles are my battles. And so in Genesis 15, God appeared to Abram in a vision. He said, do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. He's offering his protection as a covenant partner. And in the new covenant, we see an exchange of identities as well. We come to the covenant clothed in sin and unrighteousness. Jesus comes clothed in holiness and righteousness. This covenant exchange is summed up in 2 Corinthians 5 where it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's that phrase, in him, again. It's covenant language. We're clothed with the righteousness of God because Christ is our representative in the new covenant. Then in the covenant process, there's something called the walk unto death. The two parties pass between the two halves of the animal. They walk in a figure eight to represent infinity. And they say something like, may God do to me as has been done to this animal if I break the covenant. It's, it's a reminder, it's an action that shows how deadly serious this covenant is. It symbolizes the fact that both parties know this is a blood covenant and cannot be broken. And at this step, this is the point of no return. Once you've taken this walk, you've basically said, I do, or till death do us part. In Abram's covenant process, we see that he has fallen asleep. He's fallen into a deep sleep, but God continues with the process. God takes all of the the responsibility on himself. He's taking the walk unto death. In Genesis 15, 17, we read, It came about when the sun had set that, that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. God is taking the walk unto death. And of course, in the New Covenant, the walk unto death is more symbolic. It's involved with Jesus, of course, carrying his cross to Golgotha. Then the next step in the process involves the exchange of blood. Each party would raise his right arm, cut his wrist or his palm, and then they would clasp their hands together or their wrists together and let the blood mingle. You've seen this in the cowboy and Indian movies, right? They become blood brothers. They make a slit in their hand and, and they grasp. Well, that's exactly what this covenant, this ancient Near Eastern covenant was all about. They would hold that together. They'd let them blood mingle. It means that these two have become one life. And then while standing there in that position, after they've left the blood mingle for a while, they, then they would make a mark to seal the covenant. They'd rub charcoal in the wound, or, and it might make some kind of a dark scar there. Or they might cauterize the cut, something to make a visible mark that would be a public reminder that they are in covenant with someone else. In Genesis 17, we see the covenant mark that God requested. He said, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. 
In the new covenant, Jesus carried the scars of his covenant on his hands and in his side. Remember, he, they were there for the disciples to see. And our covenant, Mark, is described in Romans 2, 29. It says, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And then the next step is where they exchange their names. We've been talking about how your name represents your individuality. In the Old Testament, it actually meant something. Your name actually meant something about you. So in this step, you would take a part of the other person's name and incorporate it into yours. Very often, you would see a name with a hyphen and then the other name, and it it was just your way of bringing their name on and and including it. Sometimes they'd find a way to, to put the two names together into one. But this exchange represents an exchange of personality, reputation, character. When someone saw that you were in in covenant with that person, they would immediately think of that person's personality, that person's character. You want, to be a, a, you want to be in a covenant relationship with that person? That tells me a little bit about you then. In Genesis 17, 5, Abram takes part of Yahweh's name. We read God saying, No longer shall your name be Abram or Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Abram means honored father. When Yahweh added the H from his name, it became Abraham. And Abraham means father of many. Even Sarai was included in the deal. Her name, Sarai, S-A-R-A-I, was changed to Sarah, S-A-R-A-H. And it appears that both names mean princess, but her new name with an H and pronounced differently so that the H would be obvious shows that she's part of the covenant with God. Now you might be saying, aha, here's where your comparison breaks down. God never changed his name. Well, he didn't change his actual name for us and with us in our covenant, even in that covenant with with Abram and Abraham. But from that point forward, he was known as the God of Abraham. So I think that counts. In a similar fashion, Jesus didn't change his name for his covenant with us, but he did take the name Son of Man, and we were given the name Children of God. And then the ceremony would finish with a covenant meal, and the meal usually consisted of bread and wine, representing the body and blood of the covenantal partners. This wasn't something new that Jesus came up with. This is something that they did as a covenant process for many, many years. Decades, years, centuries, whatever. The loaf of bread would be broken in half. Each party would feed his half to the other party. And it symbolized that a part of each had gone into the other. Then they would take a cup of wine and share it. Now in pagan covenants, they would even include sprinkling a bit of their own actual blood into the cup. But God had told us not not to drink of the blood. So when the cup was shared... It symbolized that each has taken the life of the other into themselves. This last part of the covenant process happened for Abram, Abraham, excuse me, by this point, in Genesis 21. Do you remember how three men showed up at Abraham's tent? And he hurried to Sarah, asked her to make bread cakes while he got some milk for them. And they shared a meal after all these steps of covenant making. 
And of course, the, the parallel to Jesus should be obvious. Jesus shared his covenant meal in that upper room, that guest room. And remember his words at that meal. He said, this is my body, which is for you. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's all covenant language that Jesus is using. He said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Every time we take communion, we're reenacting part of the covenant that Jesus made with God as our representative and with us as God's representative. I don't want you to think that every time we take communion, we're we're creating a new covenant. It's just a reenactment. My family has been Civil War reenactors since 1995. I was the commander of the 1st Maryland Artillery and on the Confederate side, and the chief of artillery for the Provisional Army of the Confederate States. It looks good on mugs and on pictures. It means nothing in the real world, of course. But when I would put on my uniform and I'd go out and shoot at those Yankees and they would shoot back, we weren't really trying to kill each other. But if we're reenacting for the right reasons, we're doing it to remember and to honor the soldiers that we were portraying. We weren't out there just to make noise. It's the same way with reenacting and remembering the Lord's Last Supper with his disciples, the sacrament of communion. Don't just take the bread and wine to keep your tummy from growling. Recognize the significance of what you're doing. Recognize the blessings of this new covenant. The old covenant involved atonement. It was a cover for sin, and it had to be done every year. What the old covenant could only cover, the new covenant completely erases. Our sins are removed. Like the song says, sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Okay, so we've, we've talked about the ancient Near Eastern ritual of cutting a covenant, and if you're into ancient history, maybe that was a little bit interesting to you, but the rest of you maybe at this point are saying, so what? Well, when you understand the commitment involved in cutting a covenant, you appreciate the significance of what Jesus did to make the new covenant in his blood. He did it so that he could enter into a never-ending relationship with God in union through that blood covenant. These covenants are meant to last as long as the family is alive. That's why we're still in covenant with God. Jesus, our representative, is still alive. As long as he lives, the covenant is still in existence. As long as he lives, we still enjoy the benefits of this covenant. I want this to be the primary thought on your mind when you take communion. Jesus tells us to do it in remembrance of him. I gave you a quote at the beginning of the sermon from a book called The Two Covenants. I want to share the rest of that quote with you because maybe you'll appreciate it much more now. He writes, Blessed is the man who truly knows God as his covenant God, who knows what the covenant promises him, what unwavering confidence of expectation it secures, that all its terms will be fulfilled to him. What a claim and hold it gives him on the covenant-keeping God himself. To many a man who has never thought much of the covenant, a true and living faith in it would mean the transformation of his whole life. 
God wanted a relationship with his people. That's not how the gods of the ancient Near East were described. So Abraham couldn't understand that. So God's passionate pursuit of humanity led him to engage in something that Abraham would understand, a blood covenant. Try to imagine what was going through Abraham's mind when that sank in. Oh, wow, are you kidding me? God wants to be in covenant with me? I know I spent a lot of time describing the steps of the covenant, and although each step does have significance, the point isn't the process of the covenant. The point is the relationship. God wants relationship. That's what we celebrated last week as Christmas morning, and it's what we're celebrating today in a, in a different way, through communion. The supreme creator and ruler of this universe and anything else beyond that we don't even comprehend. The perfect author of history and future. Our awesome God wants a relationship with you, with me, with, with everyone And he isn't just willing to be in relationship. He wants a relationship. Nobody asked God to make this covenant. Keep that in mind today as you take communion. When we do this in remembrance of him, it's not like these flowers are in memory of or whatever. We're not just saying this communion is in memory of Jesus. That's not enough. He wants you to reenact the celebration of the covenant meal. When you take the elements, put everyone else out of your mind. Put the people beside you out of your mind. Put me out of your mind. When you take that bread, picture the one who has entered into covenant with you. Imagine him putting that bread in your mouth and saying, this is my body. Take my identity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that we find in it. Father, because of your tender mercy, you gave your only son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death on the cross for our redemption. And by the offering of himself, suffering once made a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world. In his gospel, He has instituted a memorial of his death and instructed that we continue it until his coming again. And so, gracious Father, we come to this table trusting in your great mercies. May we receive this sacrament with devout, believing, and grateful hearts as we receive the bread and the juice in memory of his passion. May his death be ever before us, quickening us, to a holy resolve to hate sin, to love Christ, and to serve you through him. Let's join together in saying what, he, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we distribute the elements, we'd like to do it the way we did the last time. Have you, have you walk up, you'll take the bread from me, you'll take the, the juice from, um, from Sam, um, then walk back, to your, walk back to your pew, and then we'll take it all together. Um, and then when we're finished, just put your empty cups into the cup holders that are in the pews in front of you, and we'll, we'll collect them later. Is there any, if there's anyone who can't walk up or would feel more comfortable just having us bring it to you, could you, could you raise your hand so that we know whether we need to... Okay, so we'll, we'll offer to Cindy, and then, uh, then we'll come back up, and we'll invite you to just walk up from the back, come up around, and, uh, and then down to the... So Sam, if you could uh, come up, and we'll... And, uh, We'll offer, we'll offer Cindy her communion. Oh, Christine, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Christine. <laughs> Thank you. If you'll, just take, if you'll just take one of the trays back to Christine, I'll take the bread. side if you'd like to work your way around the back and come up front and then you guys can can follow as well then Thank you. 
body and the blood of Christ given for you. The body and the blood of Christ given for you. The body and the blood of Christ given for you. The body and the blood of Christ given for you. The body and the blood of Christ given for you. So Jesus said, take this in remembrance of me. Take it remembering him and thinking of him, sharing his identity with you. Take and eat. And as we take the cup, remember him saying, this is the new covenant in my blood given for you. Take and drink.
Father, we thank you for this opportunity to share this reenactment, this remembrance of what you have done for us. We thank you that you've shared your identity with us, that you've cut this covenant on our behalf, that we are recipients of the blessings of this covenant. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen. All right, as we said, if you'll just put the, um, the cups in the pews in front of you and the cup holders in front of you, I will, we'll collect them later then. I will encourage you to stand as we sing our final hymn. We read in the Bible that when they were done the meal, they sang, they sang a hymn. Let's, let's sing our final hymn together, number 250.
as you leave. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.